0: We're going to read Mark 5, 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasene, where Jesus had stepped out of the boat. Immediately there met him, met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. For he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, with a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. And they, bege- and they begged him, Send us to the pigs and let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering more than 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it, what, it, what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them, described what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and how, and everyone marveled.
1: Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for uh, this, your holy word, and the power it has. In our lives, God, we're thankful that uh, we can come to your word uh, in season, out of season, no matter what's going on, uh, and we can rely on you. Father, we thank you that your word displays your power because we know uh, with everything that goes on in our lives, everything going on around us, God, we need your power over all things. And so we pray uh, that your word would speak to us powerfully today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. This morning we come to this section in Mark that is uh, one of the longest and most memorable about um, uh, Jesus or, or God defeating evil forces. And it's, I'm not smart enough uh, or creative enough to plan that on the morning after Halloween. Like that just, I didn't plan that, but it just happened to land that way. Uh, and I do find that, find that interesting. I'm not a Halloween hater. I love Halloween. My kids love Halloween. Uh, we enjoyed taking the kids trick-or-treating yesterday yesterday. And probably before the end of the week, if not before the end of the day, my kids will be planning their costume for next year already. Like They love it so much. We had a great time yesterday uh, and saw many of you out and about, uh, which was great. Uh, But it's interesting in our culture, uh, kind of this this, uh, interesting kind of dark side to that that holiday, or at least it comes up around Halloween. Uh, There's this culture of scary movies that come out. And I, for the life of me, can't figure out why people enjoy that. That That's just like torture to me to have to sit through a scary movie. But there's been so many made that apparently somebody's paying money to watch those. So I guess that's uh, a popular thing. I got drugged to one by a girl like in high school. She must have been really pretty. I don't remember why I went to this movie, but it was just awful and I've hated it. But anyway, that's a thing. People like doing that uh, and going to see scary movies. Uh, There are things like Haunted Trails uh, haunted, you know, houses, all kinds of that thing, all those things. And so there's, there's a fun side to even the, even the, the scary parts uh, of those things that come up around uh, this holiday. Uh, and that's really interesting that, that we as a culture get fascinated by that. Uh, when, we, when I was in seminary, uh, either for, throughout my time there, Amber or I, we always had to commute th- right through one of the most famous towns that you may know in Massachusetts, and that is Salem, Massachusetts. It's famous for the witch trials in 1692 uh, that were there, and uh, so every day for three years, one of us was driving through Salem, Massachusetts, and uh, that town has kind of embraced that history of of the witch trials, and that has become kind of a tourist attraction for people to come to this town. And so you can go year-round to Salem, Massachusetts to uh, a witch museum and all kinds of Witch-related things in the town. There are certain times of the year. There are ghost tours that you can go on and different things. Uh, there's a memorial downtown, and I just uh, read about this week that they built another memorial on the spot. They're pretty sure exactly where you know these these uh, women and men uh, were all hung for for these you know fake witch trial things that went on back then. Uh, but the, the the city has kind of embraced this as a tourist attraction to come and to see witchcraft things, you know, uh, which is really crazy. Like, why do we do that? I don't know. But the whole month of October, if you're going to commute through Salem, you have to allow extra time because even weeks before Halloween, there are hundreds of people walking the streets of Salem dressed in full costume and like elaborate costumes for weeks and weeks, all leading up to Halloween. So that whole month we had to make sure we left an extra 15, 20 minutes early if we wanted to make it through Salem on time to where we're going. And when I talked to friends of mine who served churches in that area, they said, you know, just as much as, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the folklore and the touristy thing attracts kind of the fun side of this, there is a dark side, a dark kind of underside to the Salem community that people who are actually practicing witchcraft come to this, they're attracted to this area uh, to come for whatever reason. So some people in our inner our culture are just, are fascinated by that and they're drawn to that, to this dark underside of pursuing after evil and demonic forces even. Uh, unfortunately, that is a, a part of our world, and there's, there's a side of, uh, of, of our culture that wants to deny the existence of any kind of uh, satanic or demonic force, and there's a side that's fascinated by that and wants to pursue that even. But we, we come to the Bible, like we do for all things, to seek truth and what's right and what's real here, and so when we come to the Bible, it, we see that there is a good spiritual being, God, who is all-powerful, but there is also a not all-powerful, but powerful force of evil in the world, led by Satan. And so we come to the Bible to seek to understand these things, understand how it impacts our lives. And so Mark 5 gives us one of the longest accounts of Jesus conquering, specifically conquering a demonic force. And so as we go through this, I hope you'll see that all of us need to see the power over evil. All of us face evil forces in our our world and in our lives, and we've got to come to a place where we can see the authority that Jesus has over these things. All of us need to be delivered from temptations that we may face. All of us need to see the, the, the bondage that is tempting us to constrain us like shackles. And that's why we need Christ's power. So thankfully, in our passage and throughout all of the Bible, it's very clear who's in control. It's very clear where uh, the, the, the ultimate power is. And so the first thing I want you to see in Mark 5 is that Jesus has all power over evil. Jesus has all power over evil. So whether you're walking in uh, through Salem, Massachusetts on Halloween night, or struggling with temptation, fighting against an addiction, fighting against Uh, destructive lifestyles, this is the good news you need to hear today. It's the good news that all of us need to hear today, that Jesus has all power over all evil forces. There is nothing, there is no, no sin temptation, there is no grip of Satan's power that is stronger than Christ. That is abundantly clear in all of Scripture and especially here in Mark 5. When Jesus and his disciples in Mark 5 have crossed uh, over the lake, as soon as he steps out, it says, immediately as he gets out of the boat and onto the shore, he is met with a man, it says, who has an unclean spirit. And then later in the passage, it describes this man as uh, being possessed by a demon or oppressed by a demon. And the way he's described just sounds horrific. It sounds like this guy is really, really struggling. He has been driven outside of town because of who he is, and he is living among the tombs which would have made him unclean. He, he's not living with the rest of society. He is living out where the graves are, where people are buried. And so he is unclean. People at different times have tried to chain him up and shackle him up to try to constrain him, but that's no longer working. It says in verse 3, no one could bind him anymore. So there was a time when they could bind him with shackles. But now the, the demonic forces have grown so strong, he's breaking out of that. And it says he's out in the, in the, in the night and he's crying out, all night long, and he's cutting himself with stones. This just sounds horrific and miserable. This is the, the power of evil over this man. It sounds like he was in constant agony, unable to break free from these chains, uh, not, not from the physical chains, but from the, the forces of evil on his life. The devil was not out for this man's good. He did not want him to prosper. He is out to destroy him, and he is, this man is suffering under the power of the devil. That sounds almost unbearable, doesn't it? This man cannot break free from this force. And yet, as soon as Jesus steps out of the boat, and that man sees Jesus, and the the demons inside him see Jesus, he runs and he falls down before him. This is a picture of total submission. He's not worshiping Jesus. Jesus, because he doesn't love Jesus. Worship is, is about adoration. It's about love. So he's not falling down in worship. He's falling down in fear and in submission. Jesus didn't even have to say anything yet. And this man is laying fully in front of him, knowing he has no power. There, there is no battle between good and evil here. There is no struggle. There's no war. There's no fight. From moment one, it is clear who's in charge. It's not constraining or back. It's, it's, One man is winning, and that is clear. The demon knows exactly who Jesus is. He calls him. He says, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. He knows. The demon knows exactly who he is. He doesn't love him, but he knows who he is. And he bows down in full submission before him. As the story goes on, the demons negotiate. They think they're trying to to, to get off not so bad. They don't want to be fully destroyed, and so they, they suggest the pigs that are apparently close by and they say, May, can, we, can we go over there? And Jesus gives them permission. They didn't realize that the pigs were going to then go run in the sea, and they were going to be destroyed anyway. They were, the, the sea is an image for, a, a symbol for destruction and judgment in the ancient world. So when these guys go running in the sea, the, the pigs die. This is their destruction. They're not, the demons aren't coming out ahead. They just took somebody with them, took some things with them as they go. It was a bad day for the demons, bad day for the pigs, a really good day for this man because everything in his life changed. Picture what that moment would have looked like and sounded like. Like I've been around a, a pen of, I don't know, maybe six, eight, ten pigs, and they can be loud and noisy. Picture what 2,000 demon-possessed pigs would have sounded like running off a steep hill into the water. Like this would not have been a quiet episode. As these pigs go flying into Ocean. So obviously, the whole town is going to come out and see what is going on with their pigs and this man. When they get out there, the man who they've seen for who knows how long, maybe years, they've seen him out by the tombs. They've seen him crying. They've seen him struggling. Now he is sitting, and he is sane, and he's clothed, and he's calm. And if you were here last week, there's a statement right here that reminds us of, of last week. If you are here last week, We saw Jesus calm the wind in the the storm. They're out in the boat, right? And it says after Jesus had calmed it, they were afraid. The disciples were more afraid when Jesus had told the storm to stop because they were amazed at his power. And so here it is, after this man's been a demon-possessed man for for all these years or whoever knows how long, after there's calm and quiet and all the pigs are already in the ocean, in the sea, now it says the townspeople were afraid. Now they're afraid. They're afraid because they're scared of the kind of power that this man apparently has to be able to, to overthrow and overrule evil forces that quickly. It's really clear here who wins. Jesus wins. He has all power. This story is written in such a way that you, you, you don't doubt who's winning. Jesus has all authority. You know, you know what a good arm wrestle, like if two people are arm wrestling who are pretty evenly matched, and I'm picturing like, really muscular arms, like big guys, you know, but they're pretty evenly matched. You know how that, that arm wrestle goes where that, the, everybody's straining and it's like all they got, the, the hand is like quickly, you know, they're kind of back and forth, back and forth, and just every centimeter feels like it's so much work, right? Where it's, it's, it's really a close fight. That's not how this goes. <laughs> this is more like an arm wrestle between me and one of those guys, right? Like, it, like this world picture, the world's strongest man and me arm wrestling. It would just be Boom, done, right? The, the, the game is over. It wouldn't even really be a wrestle. It would just be done. Here it is with Jesus. When he shows up, when he comes there to that man, he falls down. The demons are destroyed instantly. We, we don't go out seeking Satan. We don't want to tempt Satan. We know there is a very real power in the evil demonic forces of the world, but as Christians, we don't live in fear of that because we, we know Jesus, and he has absolute, full power. And total authority over evil. And just as that was really good news for this man who was oppressed by demons, it is really good news for us. We may look at this demon-possessed man and think, man, that's that's awful and sounds horrendous, and I'm so glad I'm not like that. And there's certainly some unique parts to his his story that that hopefully none of us would ever have to experience. But I think as we read Mark 5, we're supposed to see ourselves in that man that we too can be so captive to things around us. We can be captive to our sin and captive to certain lifestyles. The the word that the ESV translates as demon-possessed a few times, three times uh, in the second part of this this passage can also just mean oppressed or demonized. So it just means he's he's tempted, this guy in a very strong way, but, but all of us could be tempted by evil and feel like we're bound to it and we can't get out of it. I mean, this is how sin acts in our lives. Do you, do you know what that feels like, to be so drawn to a sin, to be so drawn to something, you, you feel like you have no power over it? And on our own, we certainly do not. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I, I know what that feels like, to be, feel like you just you can't break free. This guy in Mark 5 had it rough, but it's not different from sins that you and I may face. And that's why I'm saying it's really good news that Jesus has all power over evil. The clear central truth last week was that Jesus had all power over nature, the wind and the sea. Next week we're going to see He has all power over disease and death. And here He's got all power over evil. There is no contest. He has full authority. And He uses that authority in a remarkable way. There's a few details in this story that I think is worth slowing down on So you understand who who Jesus is and understand his character. Because I want you to see, in addition to his power, that Jesus has love for all peoples. Jesus has love for all peoples. Remember this incident happened when Jesus came out and stepped out uh, uh, on the other side of the lake. So he crossed the lake and he steps out of the boat. And to you and me, probably the, the name Gerasenes, it doesn't really mean much. This country where they are. But remember the animal that they find there. There are pigs, okay? Think back to what you know about the Old Testament, about Jewish people, about Israel. Pigs were unclean to the Jews. There were no pigs in Israel. There were no Israelites who were pig farmers. This is unclean. So he's not in Israel anymore. He is in a Gentile part of the region, which means Jesus has gone across to the other side to minister to somebody from a different ethnic group. He's ministering to and freeing, liberating somebody who looks different than him. He is there to show love and to bring freedom and liberty to this man who does not, who is a Gentile, who is not a Jewish person. This is foreshadowing at the very end of Jesus' ministry when he calls his disciples to make more disciples of all nations. The word nations, the same word for Gentile. This is what Jesus is all about. He's about the gospel going out. To all kinds of different people. And as he crosses the sea, he does just that for this man. He brings liberty and freedom to him, even though he is so different than Jesus himself. Praise God for that, because we look very different than Jesus did. We are on the other side of the world. We are far way away from him. So praise God that he loves all kinds of different people. And did did you notice how short of a time he stays in that region? Not not because he's in a hurry to get somewhere, but they want him to leave. Right? I'm not sure he even ever leaves the shore of the sea. He steps off the boat. This demon-possessed man comes and lays himself before him. Jesus casts out the demons. The townspeople show up and they're afraid and they say, We'd like you to leave, sir. And he gets back in the boat and he crosses over the sea. He, he, he shows up. He went through he came there for this one person. He crossed the sea into a different country in order to liberate one man. One man. You have to remember Jesus' parable here, I hope it comes to mind, where Jesus talks about a a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and he lost just one. And he leaves the 99 to go get the one. That's a whole lot of love for one person. Jesus has got a short amount of time on earth. Shouldn't shouldn't his disciples have recommended a, a more efficient ministry? Let's get bigger crowds together, Jesus. Let's stick with all the big... They'll multiply faster if we go to the big spots. Let's go to the big cities only. Let's make sure it's just the, the big crowds you speak to. It's more efficient. But Jesus crossed over an entire sea to get to one. And oh, by the way, do you remember what that trip across the sea was like? It was through the storm. He and the disciples were at the verge of sinking in their boat. The disciples thought they were going to die. And Jesus says, Jesus, he knew all this was going to happen. So he crossed a sea, went through a storm all the way to a different nation, a different group of people, so that one man could be liberated from his captivity. That's love. That's not just power, it's love. And that's the Savior that we serve. He has all power over all evil forces, and he has love for all kinds of different people that's an incredible god jesus is an incredible savior we face all kinds of satanic temptations and powers and all kinds of things in this world and we come to jesus and we see an incredible savior and if that's true that tells us something else about this jesus and that's that jesus is more valuable than anything in this world jesus is more valuable than anything in this world this kind of power and this kind of love together means that Jesus is more valuable than anything in this world. Notice that the one person in the story, he gets that. The man who was possessed by demons, now he gets that this is somebody I, I want to follow. Verse 18, he is begging Jesus to go with him. Please, he's begging, he's begging, please let me go with you. He gets it. He's been set free and he has experienced the love of Christ and now he, he wants to follow Jesus. That, that is right. That is how he should respond. He's been in captivity, and he's been wandering in the tombs. He's been living a life that wasn't really life. He's basically been living death. And now he has life, and he wants to be with the author of life. He recognized that Jesus is more valuable than anything else in this world. But he's the only one who gets it in this story. Did you hear how the rest of the townspeople responded? In verse 17, they are also begging Jesus, but not that they're going to go with Him, but that He'll leave. They're begging Jesus to get out of here. They don't want anything to do with this man. Certainly, they're afraid of His power. They just saw this incredible miracle, saw all these pigs in the ocean. So they're, they're afraid of His power, but why else would they be ready for Jesus to leave? He, he just cost them a lot of pigs, didn't He? For a whole lot of people probably... 2,000 pigs was a big sum of money. This was a whole village probably worth of of their industry. This is what they did. They were pig farmers. Losing 2,000 pigs would have been a major shot to to the savings account. And sometimes Jesus forces us to choose, doesn't he? Do you want the stuff of this world or do you want Jesus? For this man who is possessed by demons, we don't know what his life was like before he had a demon, but he probably had a life, right? But he didn't run back to that. When this man was set free from the demons, he didn't go, okay, now I've got to go back to my job, got to go back to my family. He knew, I, I'm going to Jesus. That's what the demon-possessed man, once he's free, that's what he, I want Jesus. Everybody else, they said, this is, this is going to cost me something. I, I don't want him. He's, he's asking too much of me, and I, I don't want anything to do with that. This... All these pigs that just died, they represented a livelihood. And for them, if they took that away, if you take away my job, you take away my finances, you take away comfort, you take away my plan, then I don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. That's how everybody else in the town responded. For you, what, what is most valuable? What's most valuable? If you are tested, if you are tempted and tried, and something is taken away from you, Will you also reject Jesus? If something that you love is taken away, will you turn your back and say, I, if that's what it's going to cost, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want anything to do with it. That's where the rest of this town was. They rejected the good because they were afraid of the cost. There's one other time in the Old Testament where, where good and evil seem to be negotiating. It's not really a battle. Remember, again, it's just you know God's boom. He's done, right? But in the story of Job, Satan comes to God and he comes up with a test. He's trying to to get Job away from God. And and Satan comes up with his plan and God allows it. And Job withstands the test. Everything is taken from Job. And he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. For the people in this country, this Gentile land, everything was taken away and they turned their back. The liberator, the savior of the world is right there on their shore. And I tell them, get back in the boat and get out of here. We don't want anything to do with it. Jesus has come to set the captives free. He has come to defeat evil. He has left the 99 to come to you, to show you grace. He has crossed over seas. He has calmed storms to come and to tell you the good news, that He is good and He is in control and He loves you. Do you receive Him? Do you seek to follow Him? Or do you say, I don't want anything to do with it? Because it might cost me too much. If you can see what Jesus has done for you, you'll know He's worth everything. He is worth everything. He is far more valuable than anything in this world. Because Jesus did a lot more than just cross a a river and and go through a storm to get to you. You know what He did to get to you and to me? He gave up heaven. He gave up his, His spot. He could have just stayed there comfortably in heaven forever. But He gave it up to come to earth. And not just that. He didn't just go through a storm. He went to the cross. He went and He gave up His life. Not just threatening to die. Not just on the verge of death like the disciples were that day in the boat. He actually went to the cross. He left heaven. He left the 99 to come and to show you grace and love. That is far more valuable than anything else in this world. He left it all behind to show you that kind of love. Do, do you see Him for who He is? If so, then you'll know He is far more valuable than anything else. There's a question I think this, this passage is laying before you. And that first, there's a few of them. But the first one is, are you going with the, the man who was demon-possessed and set free, or are you going with the townspeople? Do you just, are you just upset about what you might lose? Or are you willing to leave it all behind to follow Jesus? Another question I think that comes to mind here that you, that you want to wrestle with is it forces us to face, where, where is true evil? What's the source uh, of true evil? And I don't just mean the Hollywood version of it or the Haunted Trail version of evil. I, I mean genuine evil. There's a, there's a clear winner in the Bible, but we need to make sure we know who, who the real enemy is, who the real loser is, all right? Who's, who's the real? What's the real source of evil? And that's Satan himself. So I want you to remember the source of all evil. It's really easy in our world today to say, yeah, I want Jesus and I'm going to follow him, but start looking at other people in such a way that we demonize them, demonize people. Remember this guy, when the demons left him, was a very normal guy. He's peaceful. He's clothed. He's got got his mind. He's got his wits. He's sitting there with them. But just beforehand, everybody thought he was evil. Take the devil out of him and he's... He's a good guy. How about that, you know? Just got to find the real source of evil. He was cutting himself. He's crying out all through the night. It wasn't that he was evil. It's that Satan had a hold of his life. When you look around at people around you, your friends, your co-workers, people that you struggle with, your enemies, you, you want to call them your enemies, do you, do you see the real source of evil? Or do you demonize the, the person themselves? Can you point to the source of evil? To make sure we know what we're really trying to overcome. Or do we try to demonize other people? There's a commander in the Russian army, whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce, but it's written here if you want to look it up later. Uh, And he was originally decorated uh, as a hero, but then later he was imprisoned. This is the end of World War II because he made some negative comments about Joseph Stalin. And so in the middle of that, he was kind of stuck between good and evil. What's what's good and what's right? Because he was originally on one side and now he's imprisoned by that side. And he wrote something during his time in prison. He wrote, The line separating good and evil passes not through states or between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. And I think he's right. When we come to the Bible and we see people that are wrestling with good and evil, we see that our own hearts are so tempted to evil sometimes. And so we've got to start with ourselves, and we got to recognize what what really draws our hearts away. What's the source of evil? Ephesians 6:12 makes that really clear. It says, "For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." So it's not just your it's not just a, a, a mean neighbor or a mean coworker or a family member that you're fighting against. We're fighting against Satan. We're fighting against Satan himself. That is the real source of evil. It's very tempting to start to look down on people in such a way that we're demonizing them just because they're doing something we don't like. Let's come on their side and say, how can we work against the evil, Satan himself, to fight against the real enemy? I think that may be especially relevant this week, as there's probably going to be some uh, people that you see on your TV this week that you don't like. Right? (laughs) There's an election going on. And if there's ever a time that you want to demonize somebody, it's when it's the other political party or the other political candidate. And we all have sin in our hearts. We all are tempted by that evil side of our own hearts. And we want to call sin, sin. But let's be very slow and make sure we're pointing to the real source of evil, the devil himself, rather than demonizing other people who are made in the image of God. We're not going to be able to love our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and point them to Jesus if we think they are the source of evil. Satan is the source of evil, and sin tempts us all. But if we can truly see Jesus for who he is and the power he has, then we're going to respond like this liberated man did. We're going to respond as he did. Jesus is so, uh, has, has amazed this man so much that, that he wants to go with Jesus. I, I, that's the right response. He wants to go. But Jesus has a different plan, doesn't he? Verse 19, and this is our memory verse of the month. He said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. If you've been liberated from sin and evil like this man has, then you've been given the same command that he has. Go and tell what Jesus has done. If there was one thing I want you to take away from this man's story, it's this message right here if you too have been saved from the powers of evil, if you too have been liberated from the bondage that Satan threatens around your life, then go and tell somebody what Christ has done for you. If we have a a memory problem, right? If we forget what Jesus has done for us, then we we will not have anything to share with the world. If we forget what he's done, then it's easy to, to just... Uh, uh, forget who we used to be and to start looking down on others for the way they are now, like we used to be. We don't love people when we forget who we used to be. But if we know our story, we remember that we too were sinners. We too had evil in our hearts and it's only by mercy, only by what God has done that we have been set free. God didn't love us because we're good. He didn't need to save us because we're good. He needed to save us because we too Wrestling with evil and captive to Satan's powers, but He set us free, and that means we have a story to tell. People often ask, you know, how, how do I even know how to. How do I share my faith? How do I tell somebody about Jesus? Well, just, just do what He just told this man to do. Tell people what Jesus has done. Oh, yeah. Nobody can argue with that. Nobody can argue with your story of how Christ has set you free. Tell them what God has done for you. And then watch what happens. It says in the next verse, verse 20, and he, being the man who was oppressed by demons before, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, so ten, this area of 10 cities. So he's traveling around, telling people how much Jesus has done for him. And this is what it says, and everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. When Jesus came to the beach, just one man began to follow him. Just one man. But that one man begins traveling around and everybody's amazed through his story and what Jesus has done. Jesus came across the sea through a storm for one, and now the whole region is amazed because this man is sharing his story. I wonder if part of our fascination with evil and Halloween and scary things, I wonder if that comes from a desire to simplify evil. If evil is just a simple, silly you know, thing that we can point to, it's out there, we don't have to worry with it. But if we come to the Bible and we see our own temptation, that we too are tempted by evil, then it's something we've got to wrestle with. It's more complicated than that. It's, it's difficult. We see how we're all drawn to that. But if we can come to that reality, then we recognize evil's not just out there, it's in here, and Christ has set me free from it. If we can really see the depth of evil and the power it has, then we see how much greater Jesus' power is. And what a story we have to tell. Were it not for the grace of God, we would be like this demonic man, out in the tombs with nowhere to go, no future, no hope. But God came and He changed everything when He sent His Son to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven and set free. That's a story worth telling. Let's pray. God, we thank You for what You have done for us. God, we look to the Bible and we see over and over again the way you have set your people free. God, we confess that for many of us, you should have we we should have been walking freely a long time ago. But we're here today and we still feel bound up by the sins of this world. We feel bound up by by dark forces and, and, and things that we don't we can't get our minds around and we're not sure about, but God, we. We recognize you, You're you the one with the authority. And so God, even if we never have before, if there are people here who have never had before, God, we pray that even now we would submit our lives to You and we would trust in Your power and in Your control. God, we need You. We need You to defeat all of Satan's temptations and and all the ways that he tries to control our lives. God, we, we need you to liberate us. And God, once you have liberated us, we pray that we would walk free, we would walk in the light. We would not be captive to the evil of this world, but we would follow you with all that we have. And that we would tell others about what you have done for us. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And God, we pray that we would feel, we'd receive that grace we'd be moved by that grace and we'd move to the point where we want to tell somebody else about it I want to give you all just a, a moment longer while the band starts to play for you to pray for you to ask have you been set free have you been liberated by what Christ has done if not then it's it's clear in the Bible what He calls us to do. He calls us to repent. Which means to acknowledge our sins and to turn away from it. To confess that we are sinners who need salvation, who need grace. We don't earn it. We just tell God we have messed up and we need Him to pay for it. And if you believe that Jesus is the most valuable thing in the whole world, that He is greater than anything else, that He's your Savior, that He's forgiven your debt, and you can walk freely in Him. If you need to be liberated from sin today, come to Jesus. Maybe you want to come to the altar or come grab my hand and pray, I pray that you would would go out of here free, a free man, a free woman, a free child. And if you've been set free, I pray that today you would remember your story. You would know what God has done for you. And as they you remember that mercy, that Christ's power and his love, that you would be motivated this week to share that with somebody else. Maybe you want to come to the altar and pray about that, about who to share that story with this week. Either way, I pray that you respond in freedom. To God's amazing grace. As we sing, How Deep the Father's Love, may you remember and know and understand that love and live your life in celebration and worship of that love. God, we need you to move in our hearts in the way that only you can in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to stand and sing.